Section 28 of David and His Friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. David and His Friends, a series of revival sermons by Louis Albert Banks. Saul's Night with the Witch of Endor. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. 1 Samuel 28, verses 6 and 7 the house of the clairvoyant is often the last way station on the road to ruin, which is visited by the broken down and the wretched. In the days of his wisdom and strength, Saul had despised these frauds who proposed to peddle the secrets of the Almighty at so much apiece, and had ordered them to be driven out of the land. And it is a confession of his complete overthrow in character that he now seeks one of these despised creatures as a drowning man clutches at a straw, hoping thereby in some way to thwart the judgment of God. Saul had come to his present state through his own sin and stubbornness. No man ever had a brighter start or a fairer opportunity than Saul. He was a kingly-looking young man, and God gave him a fair chance. But long before, at his first transgression at Gilgal, God's prophet had announced to him that his kingdom should not descend to his children, but should be turned over to a man who had a better heart than his. Yet, after this, God gave him another chance, and he might have had an honorable career and have turned the kingdom over to David at the end, both blessing the man that was to come after him and receiving blessings from God and the people. But, again, he rebelled against God in the war with Amalek. Then the prophet uttered the final judgment of heaven. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. This startled even Saul, and as the prophet turned to go away, trembling and afraid, Saul clutched at the skirt of his mantle and tore it in his hand. Samuel turned on him and said, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. This was the last conversation Saul and Samuel ever had, so far as we know. They met after that, but we have no record of their having conversed together. From that time on, Saul's doom was sealed. The spirit of the Lord departed from him, and he was left to pursue his own wicked career. Then it was that he was troubled by an evil spirit. At times, this was so terrible that the gloom and the melancholy of it almost drove him crazy. David was brought before him with his harp to make sweet music, to charm away the evil spirit. It succeeded for a while, but soon lost its power. It has always been so when wicked men have sought to save themselves by any of the outside luxuries and refinements of life. 
There is no charm in earthly music that can permanently silence the quarrel in the hearts of a sinful man. And so, as time went on, Saul got worse instead of better. At last, Samuel died, and soon afterwards, the Philistines came against Israel with a great army. Saul had a presentiment that he was getting close to the end and that he would probably be defeated and lose his life in this battle. His gloom was so great that he felt that he must do something to relieve the horrible depression that weighed him down. He called on the prophets of God and begged them again to intercede for him, but God would not talk with him. God has ever refused to be used as a convenience for men. Saul was not really repentant of his sin. If he had been, God would have heard him and forgiven him. At heart, he was as wicked and reckless as ever. His afterconduct shows that. It may be that someone hears me tonight who is going on sinning against God and yet has a hope that somehow in the great emergency of death or sometime in the future when it suits his convenience, he will repent of his sins and accept salvation. I beg of you, do not thus presumptuously sin against God. Saul found that God refused to be used simply as a lever to get him out of the mire into which he had plunged himself. When Saul found that God would not hear him, he determined that he would endeavor to thwart the Lord by hunting up a witch or a woman with a familiar spirit and inquire of her. Strange what folly sin would lead him into. God would not speak to Saul in a vision. He would not speak to Saul by the mouth of the prophets. And so now, Saul thinks he will make God do what he wants him to do by the aid of a witch. What fools sin does make of intelligent people. Saul inquired of his officers and found out that in a cavern at Endor, some miles away from the army, there was a woman who had a reputation in that part of the country as a fortune teller. She was said to be wise in the arts of divination. So Saul took two of his men with him and, disguised so that she would not think of him as being the king, they proceeded under cover of darkness to the witch's cavern. As soon as they entered, Saul, nervous and restless, weighed down by trouble and apprehension, at once opened the subject. Divine unto me, he said to her, by the familiar spirits, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. The woman was at once on her guard and suspected treachery. She accused him of being a spy who was laying a trap for her destruction. But Saul swore to her that she should not be harmed for anything that night. Then cautiously, she asks if he desires to consult. With a tremulous anxiety, Saul exclaims, Bring me up, Samuel! Think of Saul wanting to see Samuel again. Samuel had been within reach year after year, and very little Saul cared for him. But now those lost opportunities came back to him and haunted him, and he would have given anything to see Samuel. Are any of you planting thorns like these in your pillow? Are you letting slip opportunities and privileges of communion with God, which after a while you would be willing to give everything you have on earth to get, for just one chance to talk with the Lord and accept mercy? And shall you, 
like Saul, find it too late? God forbid. Use the opportunity which God gives you today. What incantations or peculiar exercises this woman of darkness used, we do not know. But something about Saul had still deepened her suspicion, and she determined to test him thoroughly. Suddenly she cried out in alarm as though she had seen some great specter, and shouted to Saul, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Saul again quieted her fears, and assured her that she should not be harmed, and then begged her to tell him what she saw. And she replied, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. How much that sounds like the fortune teller. And Saul begged to know what the form was. And as he had asked for Samuel, who through a long life had been a familiar figure in the country, it was very easy for her to describe the bent form covered with a mantle, which Saul had last seen on the prophet. It is not intimated that Saul saw Samuel. It is said that Saul perceived that it was Samuel. That is, in his frightened, nervous state, he believed the woman's lie and fell into her trap. And so Saul dropped on his face to try to propitiate Samuel, whom he supposed to be present. And then, the fortune teller adroitly draws Saul along. She wants to find out, if possible, what he desires to know, and so before she gives him a chance to ask any questions, in a deep, sepulchral tone, which the midnight and the darkness of the cavern and Saul's nervous apprehension all heighten, she sets the supposed Samuel to talking. In the quarrelsome, petulant tone of a peevish old man, suddenly disturbed in his sleep, she makes Samuel complain, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? In this speech, the woman really betrays herself, and if Saul had been in his senses, he would have seen it quickly enough. Imagine a saintly prophet, just come down from paradise at the command of God, talking that way. The whole thing is absurd, but it was a shrewd touch on the part of Fortune Teller, for Saul uncovers his whole heart to her in his reply to the supposed Samuel. In an agonized appeal, he cries out, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more. You can very well imagine that a clairvoyant, or a witch, or a fortune teller, or a woman with a familiar spirit, or whatever you wish to call her, would not want an easier contract than that. Naturally, she despised Saul from the bottom of her soul. Had he not been the enemy of her business? Had he not driven her from pillar to post by his harsh enforcement of laws against such creatures as she, until she had to hide in the mountain caverns? Now she had a chance to get even. I can imagine the chuckle down in her old wizened heart as she says to herself, I'll scare this old reprobate king till he will not be much good to the army of Israel tomorrow. The army of the Philistines was only seven miles away from where she was, and it is not thinkable that she was not informed of the great advantage which the Philistines evidently had in the coming contest. She had every reason to believe that in the battle of the morrow, Saul would be defeated, and if she could only scare him out of what little wits he had left, she would greatly assist in the destruction of the man she hated. So it was very easy for her to make the supposed Samuel 
unto words that came true on the morrow. Saul and David had been for years the talk of the country, and it was no wonder that a woman who lived by her wits knew just how to strike Saul to the quick. She made Samuel say in deep, hollow tones, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to them as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Saul, overwhelmed by all this because it fitted in so well with his own fears and with the remorse and foreboding of his own conscience, fell like a dead man on the ground. But it was no part of the woman's plan to have Saul sick on her hands and perhaps lose her life by having him found dead in her cave. So she got him some breakfast and persuaded him to force down enough food to refresh himself so that he could go on his way to the army. I have devoted so much time to the story for two reasons. The first is that this has been quoted 10,000 times as a support of the frauds and vagaries and deceptions of modern spiritualism. And I think I have shown that the tricks of the Witch of Endor are as transparent as those of the frauds who plunder the weak and the silly and the wicked in our own time. But the second reason is far more important. We have in this story, in the conduct of Saul, an illustration of the folly of undertaking to thwart God. Saul sinned against God until God had departed from him, and then thought he would climb up some other way. It was a failure then, and it is a failure now. If Saul had really repented of his sins and gone to God in earnest prayer for forgiveness, there might have been a far different ending. Do you remember that other night when Jacob was coming back to his native land with his flocks and herds and his family, and the news came to him on the road that his brother Esau was coming against him with a small army, and Jacob knew he could not withstand him if he had evil intent? And the memory of his sin against his brother aroused within him the fear that Esau was coming to get vengeance on him. They were camped at the ford of the Jebel, and instead of going to bed at night in his tents, Jacob went out alone into the darkness and spent the entire night in prayer to God. It was a deep humiliation and repentance that went on in Jacob's soul that night. It would have failed as souls failed if it had been simply a cry to be helped out with Esau. God would as certainly have refused to be used as a convenience by Jacob as by Saul. But with Jacob, it was a real struggle to become a good man. One came and wrestled with him in the form of a man, but to Jacob it was the Lord. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And as the morning dawned, God gave Jacob his blessing and he returned in peace to his people. His pride was gone. He was a humbler man afterwards, but forever after he was a nobler man.
from that day, his life grew in beauty and strength. And God called him Israel because as a prince, he had power with God and man. Now the question before us tonight is, which path will you take? Jacob's or Saul's? There are these two ways of dealing with sin. One is Saul's way, to try to thwart God, to try to deceive him, to try to escape reaping the penalty of your sins. The other is Jacob's way, to turn to God in humble repentance, to surrender yourself perfectly, to throw yourself upon his bosom and beg his forgiveness and blessing. If you will try Jacob's way, you will not have to seek long to find him who comes to bless and to save, for the Savior comes seeking after you even now. Oh, how tender, how loving is the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. There used to live a man in Brooklyn, New York, without any arms. Possibly he is living there yet. This was his story. When the Civil War broke out, he felt it his duty to volunteer. He was engaged to be married, and while in the army, letters passed frequently between him and his intended wife. After the Battle of the Wilderness, the young lady waited anxiously day after day to receive a longed-for letter from him. At last, a letter came in a strange hand. She opened it with trembling fingers and foreboding heart and read these words. It has been a terrible battle. I have been wounded so awfully that I shall never be able to support you. A friend writes this for me. I love you more tenderly than ever, but I release you from your promise. I will not ask you to join your life with a maimed life like mine. That letter was never answered. The next train that left for the South carried that young lady with it. She went to the hospital. She found out the number of his cot and went down the aisle between the long rows of wounded men. At last she saw the number. She threw her arms around his neck and said, I'll not desert you. I'll take care of you. He did not resist her love. They were married, and for many years they lived very happily together. Oh, my brother, you cannot save yourself. Your sins have maimed and marred you, and you are helpless unless some divine and glorious being shall come to your rescue. But Jesus Christ comes and says, I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. I bore your sins in my own body on the cross, and I have gained the right to care for you. And if you will but yield yourself to me, I will care for you through all eternity. That young man could have spurned that noble woman's love. He could, but he did not. So you can, if you will, refuse Jesus Christ, spurn his love, and reject his offered mercy. But I do not believe you will do that. Give him your heart and your confession here and now. End of section 28. Read by Yolanda K. Degrat. New York. August 12, 2021.